Live from the studios here in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to another edition of The Other Kind Radio. The Talk Radio. Today is January 24th, 2020, and this is episode 77. The Other Kind Radio is a weekly podcast in which Todd and Jeff ping pong around all things pop culture and deliver it to you, the kind listener. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. Todd will be on shortly. Week, two weeks in a row. Supposed to look at the camera. Two weeks in a row. We have sponsorship, folks. I talked to Nick down at Pub 134. I played in my horrible uh, job of him entrusting his own business with uh, me reading a uh, blurb about his bar. And it was so so terrible. Uh, tourable too, that he asked me to do it again. And his request is that I somehow work masturbation into the plug. <laughs> and I'm too chicken to do that. So here we go. This week's episode is brought to you by Pub 134. Pub 134 is located at 90th and Maple here in Omaha, Nebraska. Pub 134 is a cozy pub just west of Benson and features some of the best bartenders and drink specials in the Omaha Metroplex. I had the honor of being there and watching the 49er uh, game when the 49ers took on the Green Bay Packers. And it's, you know, it's a relaxed atmosphere, but he was having a good time. There were uh, San Francisco fans there. There were uh, Green Bay fans. They were all getting along. And um, it was just a nice vibe. So if you're looking for kind of a chill, relaxed spot, Pub 134 is yours today. If you go in today, tell Nick that the other kind radio sent you. And he'll do something for you. Let me give you a hug. I don't know. Um, but today is Foodie Friday from 3 to 10. And I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, Jeff, tell me what Foodie Friday is at uh, Pub134. And I'll tell you. Free food available. I'm reading this off of their website. Free food available with purchase of a drink or bring your own meal. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Pub134, two-week sponsor uh, of The Other Kind Radio. Thank you again uh, for your sponsorship. Uh, returning kind listeners, welcome back to the program. We're glad you're here. First-time listeners are congratulated on finding us among the plethora of podcasts that are out there. Todd and I are glad you are here. And uh, we encourage all of our listeners to like, subscribe, The Other Kind Radio. And by doing so, in whatever way that you listen to it, on whatever your podcatcher you've got, I think that's the buzzword, uh, you are help feeding the algorithm that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational pull. This week on The Other Kind Radio, headlines. Got a couple cool headlines for you. Todd's take on Jeff's judgment. I'm going to do a joint one again. Ayo, um, we're going to talk about you. And when we say you, I mean you. On center stage and fresh from the mind of Todd, uh, we're going to be talking about 1917. So let's go ahead and bring on my podcast partner. He is a family generator, movie maker, and drum player, book author, dive bar, boombox founder, and all-around a renaissance man live from his studio in the great state of Texas and delivering the pop culture significance of the number 77. Please welcome Todd. Well, hello, everyone. I hope everyone's doing great today. That was a toss to you saying, you know what? Thank, thank you, Todd. You know, I, I'm, I'm good. Hey. <laughs> I'm not used to nice Todd. Jeff, it is so great to talk to you today. Todd, it's great to talk to you too. I can do the whole show by myself. Go ahead. Okay. And that was the other kind of radio. We'll see you next week. <laughs> hey, Jeff. Hey, man. It's good to talk to you. You too. I, I apologize to Jeff off the top that I am experiencing extreme allergies today and here in the lovely state of Texas. So if anyone hears me go, <sighs> it's simply because allergies. There stink. you go. That's my sponsor for the day. Your sponsorship is... <sighs> Yes. I like it. I like it. All right. The number 77. Are we ready to jump in? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's see what we can say about mathematically. The number 77 is the sum of three consecutive squares. That'd be four squared plus five square plus six square. 
And that was everyone going to sleep. <laughs> Let's now jump into 1977. And 1977 in relation, the yearly inflation was 6.5%. The average income was $15,000. Good Lord. How things, I'm not saying that, you know, anyone's rich here, but 15,000 bucks doesn't seem like you, today you could barely get by on that, right? I think that's what the new Xbox is going to cost. <laughs> <laughs> Very, very good. The uh, famous New York City blackouts occurred in 1977. Elvis Ooh. Presley died in 1977. Do we know what month? I can find uh, out. I'll uh, of what? Which one? Of, of, uh, yeah, when Elvis Presley? died. Which month he died in? Um, Echo. What month did Elvis Presley die? August. Oops. August 16th. Okay, I couldn't hear. Um, Apple II computers went on sale for the first time. We had much of the news is about the Alaskan oil pipeline, but 1977. Are you ready? I'm Do ready. You know what significant thing was going to happen in the year 1977? Star Wars. That's right. A little movie named Star Wars by George Lucas was released on May 25th, 1977, changing the landscape not only of the types of films that would be released, but the, the time at which they would. Up until then, the summer was garbage time. Many of the people thought Star Wars was going to be garbage, and slowly it steamrolled into what it became. Together with Jaws coming out just a year before, or actually a year and a half before, they changed the landscape of filmmaking. Did uh, you? Let's. Have you, have you heard what his uh, first title uh, was before he settled on the Star Wars? Well, the, it depends on which one you're talking about, because whenever. They were originally going to release it as the Star Wars, but before that, it was, oh, good Lord, something about the Journal of the Wills and garbage like that. I haven't heard about those two, but the one I heard about is uh, the original title for Star Wars was, I'm George Lucas, and I'm going to make up, excuse me, <laughs> I'm George Lucas, and I'm going to make a ton of money off this movie. I hate it when I hit the wrong button. Good Lord. It's 2020, Jeff. All right, go ahead. That was a long way for a short stick. <laughs> that is the name of this episode. <laughs> Let's see what kind of other significant yeah. things happened at that time. The, uh, the, the Sex bit. Pistols released Nevermind the Bollocks, which basically, to the large majority of people, ushered in the age of punk. Not that the people, the punks weren't already there and people already knew about it, but for the collective whole of pop culture that changed everything, that would go on to welcome in acts such, such as uh, the Ramones, Iggy Pop. Uh, Elvis Costello rides that wave and, and so on. So there are a lot of people that that, that comes from. Um, let's see. I The last significant thing about the number 77 actually jumps today to today because it took 77 episodes for Jeff to actually say I was not a drum major, but a drum player. I do believe that's the first time you've ever said that correctly. You always call me a drum major. Really? Yeah. I'm not, I was never, I tried out for drum major and did not get it so thanks for bringing up the heartache that goes along with a 16 year old, not getting what they want. I'm going to have to go back and listen. That's horrible. It's written right there. Drum player. Well, everybody, all the kind listeners, returning kind listeners. No, I, I can't do anything anyway. So sorry. I love you, Jeff. I love you too, brother. Um, real quick on the star Wars note. I don't know what the statute of limitations is, but my first exposure to star Wars was a bootleg audio cassette of the movie. Really? And I'm sure Pop's listening to it, and he might be able to tell us how he got his hands on it. But basically, it was the movie on cassette. And how it found so it. You heard it before you saw it. I believe so. Now, he'll come back and be like, actually, what happened, son, was uh, we took you and you cried the entire movie. And so we <laughs> recorded that. My dad doesn't talk like that. Um he talks more like, hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, hey, what's going on? I'm going to even try to do a sound effect because I'll hit the wrong button and we'll be right back where we started. Um, do you remember going to see it? I, I, it literally is, good Lord, I stammered around there, but it literally is a day that cemented in my mind. My child's heard this a thousand times. My dad had already uh, begun that whole odyssey of exposing me to tons of different kinds of filmmaking. Uh -huh. And we would go down to Dallas every weekend and see something. And my mother was a, uh, had been a seamstress and was taking classes on learning some kind of stitching for that. And dad would take us movies. And he came in to my sister and I and said, kids, 
we're going to go see this thing that's always, it's getting the greatest reviews, which is the way my dad begins everything about any movie. It's getting the best reviews. <laughs> and it's called Star Wars. And it's kind of like Cowboys in Space. Yeah. And I remember looking at him going, what? I don't want to see Cowboys in Space. I hate Westerns. You know, at that time, I was just like, yeah, hi, Fuzzy Jeff. Your camera fuzzed on you. I'm done. But I, I remember that. And then we went and we set, we went to North Park Theater in Dallas, the original North Park. And literally my life was changed as I watched that spaceship fly overhead. I was like, <gasps> yes. So I'll, I'll never forget that day. I can remember, I can remember the people around us. That's how much that is just seared into my mind. I'll do some follow-up and see uh, what pop says about star yeah. Wars. I remember the cassette before I remember the movie, but there may be some legal ramifications. So he may be like, no, we were, we went to the movie. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking no, about. Jeff, I never recorded that movie. Right. Prove it. <laughs> Stupid kid. <laughs> um, so that's cool. Thank you for the uh, pop culture update on the number 77. We're closely getting to 100. We're still getting even closer to our 10,000th listener. So uh, we are looking forward to that. Um, What's that? How's that 10K training coming? It's, 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 I'm telling you one thing. If there's one thing about me, I'm consistent. So we're right, we're right where we started. Um, so I always accuse Jeff of being reductionist. Jeff, that was kick you in the balls, Todd. <laughs> I knew what the answer was, and I just had to. Well, the kind listener did. I mean, I I made the pledge. I'm like, I'm going forward, and uh, yeah, it hadn't started yet. It's been an a weird winter here in Omaha, and that has no. I shouldn't. I'm looking at me trying to make excuses. Been a lot of things, a lot of work, other stuff, but I will I will get there someday, maybe 87 years from now, but I'll be there. Uh, did you ever hear that old joke? Um, uh, somebody would be talking about, you know, I run three miles a day. And then you say, uh, my grandmother walks some, a mile a day. She's been doing that for 20 years. And they usually go, really? You go, yeah, we have no idea where the hell she is. I mean, no. Have you heard that one? No, but it, <laughs> I knew as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, oh God. Don't, don't know where she is. <laughs> just, like, have I ever told you that one of the ways if my kids are stressed and like, and I've said before, cause she shoots archery. Yeah. Um, and there'll be times where she just oh, in her head, I will literally go and find dad jokes. Nice. There's nothing that will just dismantle my child faster. So I'm going to use that joke next time. Cause that's very dad jokey. We're going to dive into the mind of, of Todd. And this is what Todd here heard. Hey, Todd, have you heard that joke about uh, the, you know, walking a mile a day? And this is what he heard. <laughs> and then followed by me going, did you, so was that funny? Yeah, that was great, Jeff. Uh, there's, there's 30 seconds of my life. I won't get back. All right. So let's get into some, uh, let's see if Jeff can find the right uh, button. Oh my God, I did. Let's get the, uh, let's get the angry typewriter out. Let's go through some headlines. Before we get into Todd's and Jeff's take on. So our first headline here was something that hit me and I thought it would be kind of interesting to discuss. Uh, it's from fastcompany.com and it is a report on the most common days for people to call in sick. And they're not what you think. So we've all done it. You know, uh, we've all maybe had too much or just, you know, tired and uh, don't want to go into work the next day. So uh, here are some results. Do you have any predictions? Is there any anyone on here that you feel particularly strong about? Um, I'm going to cheat. Sure. I had insider information, okay. and I know it was not what I think it will be. Oh, well, what did you think it was? I would say Monday because yes. you've had a long weekend. Things have gone hard. You, you need some time off. So I'm going to guess Friday. Monday is by far the most popular day with 20% of sick day searches occurring on the first day of, a, of the workday. Uh, Friday is shockingly the least popular. Um, holidays are heavily impacted. Uh, sick days. Seven of the 10 sickest days in 2019 were holiday related. The day after Christmas was the most popular day to skip work in 2019. And Super Sick Monday, the Monday after the, the bowl that can't be mentioned, is notorious for uh, work callouts. So let's go through those real quick. Um, coming in at number 10. Monday after New Year's, number nine, uh, June 24th, which was a Monday, uh, eight, um, October 21st, which was a Monday. Well, they kind of been really dialed down to some numbers here. Number seven, 
March 18th, the day after St. Patrick's Day. Number six spot, uh, August 12th, which is a Monday. Then we have July 8th, which is the Monday after July 4th. Uh, then we've got May 13th, the day after Mother's Day. And in the top three, January 2nd, day after New Year's. April 22nd, the day after Easter. And then 12, 26, 2019 takes the number one spot the day after Christmas. Does any of that make sense? It completely made sense. I I wish that I had understood the scope of which I thought we were just going to talk day of the week. Hey, here's an arbitrary thing. Which <laughs> right. day of the week do you think it? And you said, it's not what you expect. I was like, okay, great. Friday. It, but, I mean, all of those actually kind of make sense. Yeah. Um, I, I I have no surprise in my gut that people go, hey, I opened a lot of Christmas presents. <laughs> I ate a lot of food and then I drank a whole lot. Right. Coming into work. I'm the only one that surprised me that wasn't higher on the list would have been St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Because I, I, mean, I would have figured most people, especially during the holiday season or Christmas, would have have vacation. Yeah, but, I would think that too. And, yeah. you know, when you were going along with those, like being from this part of the country, having Cajun roots into my family, I was kind of surprised there's no Mardi Gras. Oh, you know, yeah. But, but then again, Mardi Gras, you know, what, what is that? Oh God. Oh, oh my God. What is the, the day that Mardi Gras leads up to for the Catholic faith? And Oh, if my wife were here, we're not Catholic, but she knows all those things. And she'd kick my katukas. <laughs> See that, that proves it. You don't have to celebrate when you celebrate Mardi Gras, you don't have to know what you're doing. You're just drinking. Right. You know that the Catholic church is about to go. You can't do it anymore. Right. It's Lent, I think. <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think, it, yeah, it's leading up to that. I'm sure we have kind listeners going, duh. But, uh, hey. Well, the kind of listeners that are my family that live live along the <laughs> Gulf Coast that all have that blood in them. I, You know, hey, they're all going, hey, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> All right, on to our next headline, which uh, you hadn't heard about. This is off of uh, Vice.com. But Todd, did you were you aware that it rained iguanas this week? I was not. You you threw that to me in the, the pre-pro, and I, I thought, okay. So is he metaphorically, is he, you know, is he making this up? Right. So Floridians woke up uh, this past Wednesday to find reptiles lying prone on pool patios, sidewalks, city streets, picnic tables, and yes, terrifyingly, in cars. Now, what caused this is uh, as we go through some new weather cycles, um, it got down to freezing in Florida. And what happens when the iguana gets cold is it just goes into like this frozen hibernation thing so there just imagine yourself let's all close our eyes for one moment and imagine ourselves as a happy iguana living in florida and it gets cold and you just freeze up you can't grab on anything you fall into a sidewalk there were people trying to warm them up next to heaters and other kind of stuff so the national weather service actually uh tweeted uh about this uh on tuesday and uh, I'm pulling up their tweet right now. This is January 21st. This isn't something we usually forecast, but don't be surprised if you see iguanas falling from the trees tonight as lows drop into the, into the 30s and 40s. So they fell out of trees. Trees, whatever, wherever they were hanging out. I guess it's kind of spontaneous. Well, see, I thought automatically it, it was one of my favorite films, Magnolia, by Paul Thomas Anderson. Have you ever seen that? Funny you mention that. I watched it last week. I love that movie, and at the end, it famously has the frogs raining down upon the people in the story. What actually happened, though, that was, that was uh, well, I guess it's both weather-related, but that was, uh, they got sucked up into a tornado or something like that? What, in, in Magnolia? Magnolia? Yeah. I don't believe they ever explained it. I believe it's more of a, because the whole point of that film is sometimes things just coincide and things happen. Oh, okay. And that's a good band name, by the way. Magnolia or things happen. Sucked up into a tornado. Yeah. I, <laughs> a little long. <laughs> a little bit. Hey, and tonight on stage, sucked up in a tornado. Uh, what? Say what? Uh, all right. So uh, hopefully the Floridians, I like saying that, uh, were able to make it through um, the iguana situation 
at the cold. It's weather. raining iguanas. I was gonna play "It's Raining Men," um, but yeah, it's raining iguanas. Trivia: Who wrote that song, or was a co-writer on that song? Um, I'm gonna go with Marcus Allen, number thirty-two from the Raiders. That's a great guess, but it was actually <laughs> Paul Schaefer of the David Letterman Band. Really? Yeah, he co-wrote that hit. Ten points for you. You actually brought something to the show. I brought a a bullshit uh, band name and uh, and mess ups. All right, so let's get into our last headline here before we get to, into the, uh, the joint Todd take on Jeff Judgment on. And this just came out recently. It looks like uh, Disney Plus has had to halt their um, their shooting or production of Obi Wan, which has been pretty big. Uh, as the crew was sent home, this is um, this is off Collider.com. Todd said you, you said you were already aware of this. You want to tell the kind listener what's happening there? Yeah, I saw. I actually saw it come across last night on one of the the feeds that I follow from Variety. That effectively, they already had. I believe it was ten scripts done, ready to go, people under contract, ready to move. However. I think what we're starting to see with the Star Wars property is that Disney is very sensitive to the fact that whether you like it or not, there are a lot of rumblings that people are kind of bored with what they did with the the recent sequel films. Yeah. And they're being very meticulous about, okay, we've got to make sure we get this right. And I was kind of surprised because the showrunner they brought on from what I understand, you know, a showrunner is effectively in television, that person that keeps the throughput and keeps the focus. The showrunner is brought on after the scripts were done, which is at least that's the way I understand it, which is right. it's very counter to what really should happen. And so I can't help but think they thought, hey, we really want to take the show in this direction. We're not setting this up properly. And so I'd rather, I, I'm fine with it. I'd rather see them do it the right way. They've already held on this for uh, off on this forever. I, I imagine you McGregor went, oh my God, I've been under contract for four years already for this project. And now you're going to put it in spin for at least another year. Yeah, but you and McGregor's cool. Oh, he's great. Um, That's a pretty big emergency break to pull though. And yeah. I kind of feel the same way. I mean, we, I, I've, I'm more familiar with it when it comes to video games and some of the production houses. And I'd much rather they they get it right. One of the one of the things I read was they felt like the storyline was following very close to the Mandalorian, mm. and that was one of the reasons too um, that they want to make sure it's just not like oh look they have the Mandalorian which is the Mandalorian and then they've got one where it's just a Jedi doing the same thing. Well, that that you know what Jeff, that's a pretty astute grab there because you think about it what is obi-wan going to be about it's it's taking place between sith and new hope and he's obviously watching over luke will disney plus have jumped the shark if we see baby yoda in (laughs) obi-wan i have a feeling we're going to see baby yoda and everything even if it's just subliminal flash frames (gasps) oh it's so cute right I'm, i'm wondering if the writer of baby shark is pissed that they didn't write baby yoda and that was what blew up all right, that's gonna go. That's gonna do it for for the headlines. Let's push the wrong button, Jeff. Let's go ahead and do that. I got to get this scored away. Thank you for joining us for the headlines. Let's move on now as we uh, continue with the show, and we're gonna do kind of a joint uh, Todd's take on Jeff's judgment on a show that's on Netflix called You. Here's Todd with his tale of the tape and or first thoughts. Again, like Jeff said, this is a show on Netflix called You, about a dangerously charming, intensely obsessive young man who goes to extreme measures to insert himself into the lives of those he is transfixed by. Uh, This is a show created by super producer Greg Berlanti, uh, the man behind just about anything in the world that is teen, anywhere from the CW superhero shows to the rather interesting dark sabrina show that's on netflix yeah this guy's got some an interesting take on things he can go for the the sweet he can go for the dark so he's a he's a great producer this stars pin badgley and a number of other people um this has brought to my attention twofold that i saw pin badgley in an interview on colbert and i thought what an interesting dude he's just kind of oddly soft-spoken in real life and then my daughter started watching it she's like i like it so I watched it, and I am about four episodes from finishing season two. There are only two. Um, I 
I'm going to, can I go ahead and give my reaction? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I, I like it. I, I do. I think it's anything profound. No, but at the same time, I'm like, it's pretty good. If you don't mind that it is a teen version of Dexter. Ooh, I didn't even thought about that. Well yes, said. I want you to think about even the, the little doom, 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 music yep. to the fact that he voiceovers everything. Yeah, Dexter a, is constantly telling us his opinions on yeah. things while he's doing his awful things. This dude's the same thing. It's based on a book, and I, and I don't have the woman's name in front of me. I wanted to have that, and I, I'll see if I can find that while you're talking. What did you think of it, Jeff? Bernadette Schulregard is her name. I'm pretty sure. I don't think that's correct, okay. but I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep researching. Well, you brought up a good point, so another 10 points for you, and I was caught in a lie, so I lose 10 points. Um I yeah I'm I'm similar to you. Uh, it, it, I think I I started viewing it when um, I was out of other content, and I never put that together with Dexter. So I'm I'm kind of punching myself in the qualo for that. But um, very very astute to recognize that. And, and yeah, I, it's not a it's not a oh my gosh you have to see this this is breaking ground. It is a basically a teen remake or, or a young remake of of Dexter, and um, I to me I'll just classify it as background noise. I will have I have had that on in the background while I have been, you know, doing other things. It's not one you have to be laser focused on, um, but yeah, it's I you know I give it a I give it you know um, seven six out of a ten maybe. And by the way, uh, Caroline, and I'm going to mispronounce her name, last name, Kep, Kepnes, K-E-P-N-E-S. Katniss. Yeah, you know, it's based on her novels about the character Jill Goldberg. You know, I don't want to I don't want to say that it's earth shattering, but I will say that a show that at least retains its intelligence because, again, this guy's so obsessed, he does awful things. Right. You know, where it, now let's go for that parallel. Dexter is obviously a serial killer. That's what it's been about, but he's so obsessed that he kills dangerous people. Right. So it's, there's this parallel to it. Well, and didn't, Um, isn't this character also close to Dexter because this isn't, wasn't it as his dad? It was his stepdad basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, there are the parallels that that the dad shaped who he was and same thing as Dexter. And I don't, I don't fault people for that because that's, that's nothing unique. People often go, Ooh, but what if I took this and put it more about instead of I'm a serial killer who's going to kill bad people. What if I'm an obsessive dude that's going to obsess over the people I love? That's a pretty interesting take. And what I do think about second season, that's interesting. And again, I'm about four episodes from the end. I immediately said to Abby, wouldn't it be interesting if he eventually ran into somebody that was as obsessive as he is. And, and I begin to see that his new love interest in the second season, she's got some darkness to her too. And I, I think that there, that's what you have to do to make these shows interesting is constantly put the character pitted against themselves in a way. Right. And I think this show is doing exactly that. I think Pim Badgley as a star is great. I think he really is engaging the young woman that, uh, Elizabeth Lale, who played his love interest in the first one, I, I think is just a stunningly good actress. And by the way, needs to be cast as, um, oh my God, Jennifer Lawrence's little sister in the next movie they make. If you put them together, I swear to God, they could be sisters. Good point. And, but most of all, I want to call out that Victoria P- uh, Pedretti, who plays his love interest in the second season, Love Quinn. She was also in The Haunting of Hill House. Oh. I she was a standout performer in that. And she she really is an interesting actress. I really enjoy her. Now, again, don't go in this expecting earth shattering. Go into expecting if you want something that's going to be entertaining and you can binge two seasons quickly and you'll want to watch it. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. You do have it. I can say, and I'd be interested to follow up with you on this. It was one that I watched and then kind of quickly forgot about. Okay. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say, uh, you know, if you've got some time, um, we'll put the projector away. The uh, network is Netflix and the show is you check it out. All right, let's move on to center stage and a movie, uh, we're discussing today, which, um, I mean, I'll give, I guess a spoiler report. Uh, there's only kind of one real turn there but uh we can try and avoid that for you uh we're talking about the latest uh movie that i actually i've seen twice we're talking about 1917 directed by sam mendez i'm sure todd has the imdb page pulled up and and the tail of the tape 
quite possibly, or I can. Um, you got it? I do. Okay, go for it. I, by the way, when I shake my head like that, then I'm, I'm... I was uh, actually looking at the VU meter to make sure that... <laughs> <laughs> we okay. were with him. Sorry about that. You, I thought we were trying to be silent and seamless. And and once again, I screwed it up. Kind of radio. We are the other kind of radio. I just reset everything. Here. Right. Yeah. All right. 1917 tells the story of two young British soldiers during the First World War. as They are given an impossible mission. They, they have to deliver a message deep within enemy territory that will stop 1,600 men and one of the soldier's brothers from walking straight into a deadly trap. This is based on a real story, and I'm going to say right up front, wow. This is Sam Mendes at the top of his game. His constant collaborator, Roger Deakins, the cinematographer, and I'll get into both of their pedigrees in a little bit. This is, I, 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 I don't want to just focus on those two men, but holy crap. It is literally two people at the top of their game stepping in and saying, let me show you how it's done. Right. Um, the, you know, the things that will strike you right away. Yes, this is a World War One film. The production design is flawless. Mm. The creation of the trenches, mud everywhere, dead bodies. I think maybe even more than uh, Saving Private Ryan, the use of dead bodies as an actual integral element of what the environment is. The, it is a constant throughout. Right. But the the, the biggest thing that we we have to throw out right away as as I wrap up the tail of the tape and my quick opinion is this film is designed to look as though it's done in one shot and as one continuous shot without edits. So there we go. So yeah, that's the biggest thing. That's the thing I shared with um, um, Catherine and the boys when we went to see it um, that they would look at that. Yeah, I don't know if it's just Max being 16 and and being a 16 year old. Um, Luke was a little more receptive and and kind of had some questions about that. Um, I'm I'm trying to trying to get him into into seeing some films and stuff that I think are be a good base. Um, but anyway, I said you know one of the interesting things done about this film is it looks like it's one continuous shot. And of course, when I saw it with him, it was the second time I saw it. And there are so many things that are great about this film. Um, the first thing I noticed from seeing it a second time is how well paced and how well shot it is from the opening scene where the two young men are sitting by the tree. And I noticed as they're making their way they're they've been uh, asked to report to the Colonel to get their mission. They start up and they're on ground level and then they slowly start to, uh, go down into the trenches, uh, through an incline or a decline. And I noticed two things. One, because I the second time I saw it, I had my Todd hat on. One of the really subtle, cool things they did as and and the the camera is situated for the kind listener that you're looking at the two actors walking into the trench. So you, you imagine the camera person walking backwards, basically. And and as they get lower, the music and the pacing uh, changed. And I thought that was really cool. I think when it's done like that for the first time, when you see it, you don't recognize it. And by seeing it a second time, it's something you pick up on is it speaks um, volumes about the, the amount of thought and work that went into doing this. Um, when we got done with the film, just to kind of continue the conversation about the single shot uh, uh, style um, was that no one really noticed it. And I think, I think Birdman did, yes. but I think it was, it was more like very apparent, like, Hey, we're doing this because we want to make sure that you are aware that this is artsy. Whereas I didn't feel there was anything too clever. Um, there's some beautiful shots, but I, it just didn't feel forced to me. I, I, I have to, I have to stand against the idea that Birdman did it to be artsy. I think okay. that that film what it what it what that film tried to create was almost the same chaotic feel of things constantly moving that this used for i mean if you're going to do this you have to have a real reason for it you also have to have a complete understanding of how you, you create the illusion i bet there are people that don't see this as one shot they'll sure. see it as a composition of shots because and i think you're really astutely grabbing something there jeff that it is 
It is the cinematography. It's the pacing of the camera movement. It's the acting and it's the music. But even more than that, I, I often talk on the other podcasts I do, Men of the Apes, that you can see how hurried those films are at times because when they're trying to, mm. a low-budget film is trying to create the idea that you have a massive army of people that are apes and you don't have the money for that. I, I've, I've said on there before, there are so many ways to create chaos within a lens, meaning you know, within the lens, meaning what's in the frame yeah, and how you have people come and go can create that illusion. It can also create the idea that you have 500 people instead of five. This, you know, the assistant director is a, is a massive integral part of that creation. And yeah. that's the thing that right away I was like, whoever his assistant director is, they, I hope they are getting accolades at the wazoo because they are working with Sam Mendez to make those things happen on the set. So all this stuff's going, you have to think about these shots, these shots at any given time are probably at least six to seven, if not 10 minutes long. Yes. Yes. I think I've read that there are only 10 to 11 edits in the film. I'm not, I'm not sure that number, but I think it's something that small. And they're done pretty efficiently as well. I do want to call attention to something real quick here because you got my brain, my brain thinking. I think you chose the word that I was not looking for uh, with Birdman. I think um, it wasn't um, uh, forced. It was rushed. And I think that's what I identified a little bit better with 1917's style versus Birdman. Birdman, of course, is a completely different movie telling a completely different story. Um, but it right. did feel very, very fast. And to me, I and think, I think that's, it's in, yeah. that's its intent. Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Just in my small little Jeff brain, I, to me, I felt like Sam Mendez was, was taking really good care of, because it is a war film. So there you go. I mean, there's, there's rushing around, but I never felt, um, uh, that, that any of it was done in a, in a you know, kind of a rushed or, and I don't mean rushed, like they didn't take time to shoot up, shoot the shot or anything. I'm just talking about the total environment. And again, this is my non-educated, uh, movie brain, uh, going at it, but, um, that's what I appreciated a little bit more from 1917 and that it felt, uh, the pacing was, was really, really something that was on the front line there, so to speak. Uh, right. And, and I, I don't think that, you know, you can look at just because two films have said, we're going to do this as one continuous take. You can't look at it and say that, hey, one feels one way, one feels another. And I don't mean to point that at you. I'm saying that to everyone out there because Birdman's take is on a man that feels as though life is just crumbling down around him because yeah. of that he can't escape his choices from the past. And it's chaotic. It needs to constantly be on the move. So much so that the, you know one of the most brilliant things in that whole movie is taking place in New York. One of the most brilliant things is this. There is a drummer soundtrack that is constantly going. And even to the point at some point, the camera rushes by on the street and there's our drummer actually playing the beat we're hearing. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. going, it's almost surrealistic in that approach. Right. But what Sam Mendes does here and going back to the idea of what his assistant director man or woman i don't know who it was sure i'm not gonna waste the time looking for that one um what they create is they and this really goes to, to sam mendez he understands that war is brutal but war has to be personal to be felt and we have to feel this relationship between these two men we boys they're not they're not men yet they're 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 young men they're boys and that's what struck me immediately was wow He's creating something where I immediately feel connected to these people, yet I feel the escalating tides of this story as they unfold to the point that by the time it gets to the end, and it's the final moment where we know that their mission has to go forward in a certain way, there's one big final push there that, I mean, I literally, I, and I've never hidden it, I, I love movies to the point that I will cry if it moves me. And at the end of that film, I tears were going down my face. They were just, they were, they were burning into my skin. And it, it is because that he understood how to give that ebb and flow of it. And what is crucial to it, that camera swings in one, in one take. But what's so smart again about that screen direction is they use the screen direction to shift the camera. So one minute you're following through a trench and the next you're leading through a trench. So right. you're seeing their faces or you're seeing their backs and it never breaks a shot. It's just stupendous. Um, I, I admit I was trying to find while you were saying those, 
those kind words. Um, what and, is, and to your point, Thomas Newman's score is half of what makes this right work. Except for one part. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, I was trying to find the assistant director, but um, if I can find it, um, because I think it's worth mentioning because this yeah, is, yeah. Um, so while well, we got it, I've got, yeah. Oh no, I don't. I have the wrong one. My bad. Sorry. Um, so, I mean, uh, I, I highly, um, yeah, recommend for kind listeners that are looking at seeing this to make sure they see it in a film, uh, or in a, in a movie theater, because I think the big screen does help it. Um, just, just, so we've got, we talked about the, the cinematography, the acting is wonderful, uh, both, both in there. And it's a film with, with, with not a lot of characters, which also to me is something more difficult to do. My next thing I wanted to bring up is more on the technical side of it. Um, and I know I'm asking you an unfair question, but what do you think was the like amount of times that they had to reshoot stuff or takes? I mean, I guess my question to you is if you're shooting a film that is a collection of many, many shots and edits, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, if it's a if it's a scene where a guy walks into a, a grocery store and, and says, hey, everybody, you know, I'm sure you do a couple takes for that. You're looking for a couple of things. I'm, I'm guessing that this 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 one shot style is much more difficult to shoot. Um, but obviously they've got to have things, you know, go right. Um, I'm just wondering how many times I mean. Well, that is that's key, you know, that when people go on and on about this, um, this goes back to Orson Welles with touch of evil. And uh, I I could look up the stats here, but the touch of evil uh, comes not at the latter part of his career, mid to late. Mm -hmm. Uh, He gets hired for it and he decides he, he is famous for getting behind schedule and he decides I'm going to do something to get way ahead of schedule. Mm-hmm. And that's that he designs the opening shot, which is following somebody putting a bomb into a car. That car drives, I believe, three city blocks. The camera goes up at least two to three stories. So it's doing all these things and it, it lasts for three minutes, four minutes. But at that time, it, it's astonishing. And I, I, right. I'm, right. I'm sure I'm wrong about that time. This goes back to that. And people have been trying to do it since then. And when you think about what Orson Welles did, setting up that shot, requires that you net you get a camera that can travel that far that's the first thing right now you have to stage all the action make sure the camera sees all the action the bigger thing is you got to light the entire thing without lights being seen you have to have light to expose so when we get into this and one of the key things i'm that last night i was just like roger deacons good god that man is a cinematography god the sequence when they go down into the German bunker. Yes. And it's darkly lit, but it is one continuous shot. And you realize that he has found a way to light this thing. Yeah. Hiding it so that we, we and how many times must this be rehearsed? You have to then get into it. Just like you said, you got to have everything go right now. I, I imagine the rats that we've seen in it. I'm, you know, almost indefinitely are uh, CG CG. Yeah. So that's one thing that's added post, but still you're looking at, Camera, composition, acting, uh, movement. You've got to take all these things into account. So while you may think, you know, going back to Orson Welles, Orson Welles did that. And once everybody's like, you're taking all this time for one shot. And then because he shot how many of her minutes, he ends up that many days ahead. Right. You can look at it that way. But I would imagine a film like this, I can't say how many takes they did. Right. But I would guarantee you that they ran through it four or five times over four or five days, that one scene, you know, something to where we got to make sure this is right. This has got to happen. We have to have that. It's a lot of work. It is not easy. One of the things that I, that I like that's a result from that style of shooting is kind of like the show that we record live there. I'm sure each shot they had to reshoot, whether there was a blatant error or whatever, there are some different things and seeing it the second time, I no longer was mainly focused on the main two characters. I was looking at their surroundings and stuff. So I'm sure that there are some um, little uh, nuggets of, of, of uh, spontaneity that were just captured in there because I'm sure that, you know, they were just trying to do and follow the same, um, you know, same, same set and everything that, uh, or their, their positions, um, sorry, I'm trying to mute my, my watch there. Um, so the, 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 obviously when you're taking a, a shot that long and you're walking and there's other soldiers around and everything, 
everybody's going to try to hit their mark the best they can. Right. The example of this is in the scene, which everybody's seen um, from the trailer, where he is running across the field and the explosions are going off. He collides with some soldiers twice and falls over. That was not scripted. Really? Yeah. That was by accident just because he was trying to run, actually, you know, running perpendicular to their path. And it just happened. But I thought, and I thought, you know, uh, hats off to Sam Mendez and the production team because they kept it in. Well, and it makes the funny thing is it, it, it makes it seem so much more real because he is running counter to what the soldiers are doing. Yeah. And it just, and it actually increases the urgency and the the doubt in our head of will he accomplish his goal. Um, I, it's one of those films that I know will be dissected. I know that I've already seen a couple of friends that I I respect their film knowledge. Well, this isn't Saving Private Ryan. No, it's not. No, but it it did never come out and say. By the way, we are aspiring to be better than Saving no. Private Ryan. I will tell you one thing: it definitely does better than Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. Uh, suffers from the bookends that occur where at the very first we see the guy going to um, I, I'm sorry, putting the guy at the end where he's at the grave site and yeah. we find out that it, it's hokey and the film doesn't need it. If you extract that from it, the film's a better film, right? This film uses bookends because of what you just talked about a tree. Mm-hmm. That is a poignant bookend. Yeah. That says my journey's complete. I've ended up where I am, but now that character's changed. Right. I, uh, the, uh, the 11 year old did ask me if, uh, or 12 year old now did ask me a funny question. Uh, cause you know, he, he takes out and looks at a couple of things and then he closes his eyes and Luke goes, did he just die? <laughs> well, <laughs> and I said, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I think he's taking a nap. I think after all that stuff that they went through, he's just taking a nap. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk the uh, of the sound, the the, the score, the music mm-hmm. that was put to it. Um, uh, you know, v- very well done. And I'll just go ahead and kick out my 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 hot film opinion here. As far as the only time where I thought it was a little intrusive was the scene where he's running in the dark um, with the flares going off and um, gunshots at him. Mm-hmm. It's a very, uh, you know, I thought there it would have been a perfect time to just have the sound of him breathing and running and the gunshots would have communicated enough. Plus, especially being at night, I think it would have kind of added to a little more of the frightening. And again, I don't have a film degree. I've never shot a movie, but that was just the only thing that I noticed in the second time seeing it. Um, other than that, I thought it was it was really, really, really well executed. I I don't remember that bothering me. I I completely understand what you're saying because there are the moments in film where you, we as a viewer almost think we're hearing music, but what we're hearing is the music of the sound design. Right. And I I can see what you're saying. I I need to see it again. I, because I've got so many films to see right now, we'll get to see (laughs) them before the Academy Awards, but you know, I I think that what they accomplish and it, it really is those three men being Sam Mendes, Roger Deakins and Thomas Newman, they, have created something where they understand that each of us are going to lead parts of this and be in there. I, I don't want to, I don't want to ignore the two young men that are the stars of this. Sure. Sure. Um, being, and now of course I'm not on it. Dean Charles Chapman and George McKay, Dean Charles Chapman. Do you realize who he was? The, uh, the brother that's racing. No, I'm looking at his, I'm looking at his IMDB page. Should that I see common from game of Thrones? Ah, the it, king that jumps out the window. It is. Wow. Which then becomes weird because do you realize who his brother was? Um, yeah, he also was in Game of Thrones. He played right. one of the yeah. Richard Madden, he was Rob Stark. Ah. And so when he turned, of course, my my daughter being 17 thinks he's just dreamy. And so I'm watching the movie <laughs> and I thought, oh God, Abby's here. She'd be going, Oh my God. And it would completely ruin this moment. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't even, that didn't even cross my mind. I'm now noticing that uh, when um, um, Chapman was in Game of Thrones, he had blonde hair. So my, my small brain, I was like, Oh, he had dark hair in this one. So um, well, it, it's a, it, the, the acting in it is across the board is just pitch perfect. There's, there is no performance that you can look at and say anyone was wrong. It actually injects humor at places yes. to it as well. It's, 
it is not such a heavy film that you will just think, oh my God, I can't take the, the travesties of war. Um, I'm going to step back too and say, we have to, again, understand we're dealing with people like Roger Deakins, who has been the cinematographer for not only Sam Mendes over a lot of his films, including the James Bond films that Mendes did. He also shot the recent Blade Runner 2049. Uh, mm. He has worked with the Coen brothers on many things. Oh, brother, we're out there. No country for old men. But if you want to see the, this man at the top of his game, and if you've not seen it, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Have you seen that film, Jeff? Yes. It's it, the, awesome. The cinematography in that film is just jaw-droppingly beautiful. That's uh, one with Brad Pitt and um, uh, what Casey Affleck. Yeah, that, that's yeah, a great, great movie. As well. Yep. Uh, but he's great. Mendez, uh, having done, you know, the weird thing is Mendez also is a stage director and does all these things on stage. And then he comes and he has things like American Beauty, Road to Perdition, which I think is probably one of his most unfairly yeah. ignored films by many. He is a great director. I wonder, across the board, the pedigree that goes with this is just stunning. I wonder if I wonder, and and you've worked both, um, how much the experience doing stage production helps with the film. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know it's two different. Two, you know, the stage is different than life, but I think, I think visualizing and then communicating to people where you need them to be uh, and what you're going for uh, is really important, especially on stage, because the audience is that much you know, closer to the action and it's live. So it's not like something like, Oh, we didn't get it. Let's do it again. So I'm going to go ahead and, and say that, you know, having that skill set, you know, definitely benefits, uh, you know, making the transition of doing something from stage to film and you feel it, especially in all the movies that you just mentioned. Um, there, there was something on the tip of my tongue that I'm, I'm trying not to forget as far as 1917, that was along those same lines. Oh, it was, it was in the dialogue. Um, you know, these, these two soldiers spend a lot of time and they're going through some stressful stuff and, and they're, so the, they're carrying the storyline and I, and I, I liken their kind of, um, conversations to some of the really good writing that's in stand by me. Um, it didn't feel forced. It never felt, um, that it meandered or go, went to places that it, you know, it couldn't come back from. And at the same time, you obviously were pulled in by the fact that they were soldiers. So they'd be talking about something and then they'd call out like, Hey, make sure you watch the tree line, you know, let's stay focused. So. Yeah. I, I mean, going through this whole conversation about Mendez and even what you're talking about right there, it never did occur to me that in very many ways, this is a stage production. Ah. When you think about the stage has to be constructed within this and there it has to be the movement of people within things. So I think that those th two things tie together. And, you know, this is a man that it's not just, kind of kind of does stage he he was nominated for a tony award for the revival of cabaret that went on to just make crap tons of money and i've seen the production and it's pretty stunning yeah so the dude is amazing the, now do you have anything else about the film itself because i do have something to toss in oh yeah no let's let's do that i just um you know uh for what it's worth go see it yes this will be on it's definitely made our conversation that we're going to have, I think in a week or so, or uh, yeah, I think uh, two weeks as far as our Oscar preview party or episode or whatever, much more interesting because it's oh, you know, I just recently saw Jojo rabbit and then to look at uh, 1917, it's really, now I'm understanding why, you know, uh, board shows are so stupid, but if we put back on our Oscar hat, um, it's going to make that that whole decision and 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 harder to try and pick the winner for for best film. But uh, go see it, nineteen seventeen. Go see it. Go ahead, Todd. So and and to that point, my wife, you know, of course, this morning, hey, is it the best picture? And you, I'm like, don't ask me that question. You know that, but I will tell you this: it's one of the best films I saw this year. Yeah, without a question. Now I'm going. This is still related to the experience. We did we failed to do something we always do, oh, which that's is right. to tell you what the experience. So yes. I uh, I went to a relatively early late movie at about 8 50 uh at not one of my favorite theaters but it was closest and i was worried about being tired so went to it when i purchased my ticket in the morning mm -hmm. i was the only person oh by the time that the movie occurred it was sold out which is good for the movie on a thursday night to be sold out yes however oh. i had my regular popcorn and coke <laughs> diet coke diet coke yes thank you and I, I I will do a very quick tirade on it is obscene what the movie theaters charge me for that. It is obscene. Uh -huh. 
so the, I, I'm doing this because I am trying to send out a message to the theater owners and the Mosher Picture Association that I'm almost done with seeing crap in the theaters. Almost. You were pushing me to it because I spend so much money. Yeah. I get there. I am forced to watch 28 minutes and I timed it 28 minutes yep. of commercials and previews. Mm-hmm. Okay. You want to talk about why I can do it at home and like it better? I save money. And I don't have to watch all the garbage. If I want to watch it, I can. I see all your trailers online. Now I go, and this is where it gets really bad. So I selfishly sit down, put my popcorn to the seat beside me as I get adjusted, adjust my seat out. And then some guy comes and literally stands looking at the popcorn in in that seat. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And he just, whatever. And then he literally, the minute I get my popcorn, he plops his butt down. Mm Mm-hmm. Ends up five minutes later, he's in the wrong seat. <laughs> and then all of his friends show up and they begin. Oh, hey, da, da, da. Uh, the true. couple beside me sits down. Oh, my God. I love war films. <laughs> um, and, you know, my dad used to let me watch them with him. Yeah. And it, this woman starts going on. And I thought, OK, they're going to shut up after the previews. No, the oh. film starts and it's a quiet film. Oh, my God. And I just literally looked at her and she's like, I think we need to be quiet. <laughs> and I was like, I think you do. You know, the dudes beside me never hold on. Hey. The entire time the film is almost ruined for me. You have to fix this or th- I'm telling you theaters are going to go away because people are tired of it. I can watch it. The quality and everything at my house is as good as that. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of going there. Give me that I can watch these films at home. Done with it. Yeah, uh, you're right. We we didn't go through that. So apologies to the kind listener um, that we didn't. Uh, I, of course, went That's by myself. Wrap on it. Yeah, I went the first time by myself and went to a, a fairly early showing on the weekend and didn't have anybody sitting next to me. But my distractor was... Um, uh, the woman that was sitting in the same row, um, anytime anything ever happened, she'd go, oh, my. <laughs> and I but mean, it's fine. We all. It. Yeah, we I have a loud laugh. You know, the kind listener knows that if there's something funny happens on screen, I do laugh rather loud. And I know that I'm sure there's been people that have been annoyed by it. But it was just at the rate that she was firing off these. Oh, my. You know, it was just like, you know, ma'am, this is a war film. There's going to be dead bodies. There's going to be rats, you know. So that was a little bit of a detractor, but you've helped me realize that when we go as the, as the unit and we have everybody, Catherine, Max and, and Luke there, um, Catherine is always very sweet to put me on the end of the row. And then I've got three, three chairs with them to buffer some of that. Now, Luke has gotten into a bad habit of cracking his knuckles and uh, playing with candy wrappers. He uh, loves that, which I just my ear picks up immediately. So but, you know, I just asked him to stop and he and he was fine. Um, but to tie it all together and kind of what you're saying, I, I agree. I've seen quite a few films recently um, at the same theater and it's becoming a routine. They're doing OK here as far as the prices for the the additional pop of whatever you need. but the previews are just getting outrageous and i have started to do something i've never done before which is just if the movie i know the movie starts at 10 o'clock i that's 9 55 i leave the house i know i can get there get my drinks it's assigned seats i can go in sit down and it isn't as painful because now they got stuff going in going on even when you walk in with local ads and whatnot and then you know these previews which are just god awful that's not to end on a <laughs> on a down note, but yeah, they need to fix it. And they're wondering where their profits are going. That's it. Yeah, there was an article this year that that despite profits being up, viewership was down. And that that speaks of that you're <laughs> raising the cost on the person yep. when you don't have as many people there. I'm telling you, you're going to price yourself out of relevance. So theaters, figure it out. This is a great movie. Go see it. Maybe go see it really early on a Saturday morning where there'll be less people there. That's that's my next thing is I'm going to start trying early, early mornings and, and avoid people. I, I would I would recommend that just because I think not many people are going to get up and go go to a nine o'clock movie. And I that may be reason why I'm, I'm not as bothered, uh, even though there was the oh, my uh, person <laughs> hanging out. Um, I want to look real Catherine, right? No, no. <laughs> no oh Catherine, yeah, Catherine was, was quiet. Uh, the funny thing, when we went to see Jojo rabbit, 
that's the first movie that she and I saw. And there's a scene in there. We were equally crying the same amount of tears. It's a very emotional scene. And, and, and it, I, it was actually nice to kind of have her there. Cause usually I'm trying to be like, I'm not crying. I'm not crying. You know? <laughs> and then you, you get to that point where you have to release. And you're like, <laughs> um, then you're trying to wipe your eyes and everything before you, uh, before you get out. All right. So, uh, obviously you're giving it a high mark. I'm giving it a high mark. If you can find an early, uh, viewing and, and want, and don't mind the previews, then, then go see it in a theater. Cause I think it's worth it. That's 1917 nominated for one of the best films of 2019. It'll be interesting what happens. Uh, speaking of that real quick note here before we sign off, um, obviously, uh, we're recording on Fridays now. Uh, our next episode will be on the 31st. We'll figure out something between now and then uh, what we're going to talk about. But then want to give everybody the heads up that the 7th of February will be our Oscar prediction uh, party and a party episode, whatever. Uh, I'll think I'll put it out there if we want to have some other people give us their uh, results, too. And and we'll and we'll go from there. So um, I think that'll do it for this episode. Todd, you got anything else to add before I start firing this thing down? No. Firing this thing down. Yeah. Actually, if you go to the movies, here's a PSA. Shut up. <laughs> Silence is golden. It really yeah. is. Turn off your cell phones. Be quiet. Luke, I love you. You're a good kid. Don't don't wrinkle the candy wrapper when Jeff's there with you. <laughs> and he looked at me like, you know, what, what? What are you doing? <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this episode of The Other Kind Radio. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Episode 77 brought to you by Pub134. Also want to thank uh, a lot of the new followers that we have on SoundCloud. I'm uh, clicking that link right now and going to give them a few shout outs. So let's give a shout out to Chester D. Amp, uh, Robo Tay, uh, gets get stuck in and uh, Infinity View. Welcome, welcome to the other kind radio family. And last one we'll mention there decent, uh, decent tunes and splash rotation. Thank you for your following and your interest in the other kind radio. We appreciate your time. We'll see you next week. The other kind. Get some pop culture in your life, in your diet this next week. And remember, we are the other kind radio.